Today's Skimmed from the Couch is presented by AC Hotels by Marriott. It's a global hotel brand that we are excited about. More on that later. First, let's get into the episode. So we just wrapped our interview with Ann Curry. Um, It's really, you know, two former former journalists um, who grew up just idolizing her and listening to her every morning. It was very surreal to sit across the table from her and the empathy that she clearly has for any story that she works on or anyone she's interviewed and her followers and viewers um, was just, I was so taken aback by that. I just felt like I learned so much, not about, I, I mean, yes, about her, but also just how you, someone really interesting looks at the world. I think she's seen the best and worst of humanity in the stories that she's covered. And I'm excited for you guys to listen to this. Enjoy. I'm a big believer in using setbacks and difficulties as fuel. Uh, When you are denied something that you know you could do, you can listen to something like that and say, "Uh uh-huh, I understand what you're saying. Uh, I think I disagree with you respectfully. I think you should give me a chance. Well, in your head, you can be thinking, oh, yeah, watch me. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it, from the good stuff like hiring and growing a team to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the Skim from a Couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? So please welcome Anne Curry to the couch. Anne is an award-winning journalist, anchor, and producer. She got her start in TV in Oregon back in the 1970s and has been on our screens ever since. She worked for NBC for 25 years, reporting from all over the world, from Syria to Darfur to Kosovo to Afghanistan, the 2004 tsunami in Southeast Asia, the 2010 earthquake in Haiti, the list goes on and on. She left NBC in 2015 and now EPs her own shows, including her latest, Chasing the Cure, which launches this week on TNT and TBS. And we are so excited to have you here. This is a a big moment for us as people that um, started off at NBC and and watched what you did and studied it for years. So welcome to the couch. Very, very sweet of you to say, Danielle and Carly. It's great to see you both and to see your success. I cheer you. Oh, thank you. Well, it's really weird to hear your voice, honestly, in my ear, in my headset, because I woke <laughs> I up to your voice yeah. so many years. <laughs> um, so we want to get into it, which is skim your resume for us. Oh, oh, gosh. I guess um, I would answer that by saying um, I'm uh, I'm a girl who came from a family that um, had, would never have predicted the outcome that sits before you. In other words, um, no one in my family had ever graduated from college. I was not even signed up to go to college because there's no way I could afford college. And a series of events, uh, uh, in in addition to a love of truth, led me to where I am today. So that would be my quickest skim. <laughs> that was beautifully that was skimmed. Really, that was I skimmed think that was with the most meaning. Beautiful skim we've had. So you you kind of. Um, did this a little bit, but we usually ask what's not on your resume. So in this case, what's something that people can't pick up about you from Googling online? Mm. 
Well, gee, I don't know. There's so much out there, it's hard to guess. But I guess uh, off the top of my head, not having I've made a point to not Google myself that much, um, <laughs> um, I guess people might not know that, um, although they might guess, but I, they may not know that um, I was the first woman and the first n- not um, non-Caucasian woman and the only woman and the only non-Caucasian woman in my very first job as a journalist. And so I felt um, a lot of pressure. And in fact, beyond that, I was told by the person who I was supposed to work for in these words, Anne, women have no news judgment. Besides, you can't carry the camera. You should not take this job uh, because you're, you're going to fail at it. And, and so that's something that you don't really necessarily put in a resume. But I, I will say that I'm a big believer in using setbacks and difficulties as fuel. Uh, when you are denied something that you know you could do, you can listen to something like that and say, uh-huh, I understand what you're saying. Uh, I think I disagree with you respectfully. I think you should give me a chance. Well, in my well, well, in your head, you can be thinking, oh, yeah, watch <laughs> me. And that's exactly what I had did, and, and that's uh, how it all began. That's a great way to start this off. Um, what does a typical day in the life of Anne look like right now? Mm. Well, right now I am scrambling because I'm launching, as you just mentioned, Chasing the Cure, which is a really bold and um, intense project because it's about love and life and hope and health and family. And it's really what it is, is it's a project that connects patients in need with doctors who can help and with anyone actually who could do something to help. So my daily life is going through patient profiles, thinking about doctors, talking to doctors, uh, being a part of figuring out what a rundown of these hour and a half broadcasts will be. We have a social worker on the team and a psychologist on the team and a medical ethicist and a couple of other doctors and just in the uh, behind the scenes team, but then also just to make sure that we've been responsible. So I've been using, it's been really, um, the challenge for me has been um, marrying my journalistic team with a bunch of doctors who aren't journalists, but who want to put patient, who really put patient first, just as I'm insisting that everyone on the team does. And then with TV creators who are doing prime time, with technologists. And so creating that all together has been a morning tonight. I mean, I was up until 10 o'clock last night um, on the phone and emailing, talking about workflow. I mean, and oh, and guess what? I actually helped design the set. Oh my God. And I actually <laughs> chose the fabric on the couch. And I, and I was, you know, and I'm thinking about, you know, I mean, it's been nutty uh, that to be an executive producer on a project like this has been nutty because I've been able to, it's almost like going back in time to when I first started in, in journalism, when I ran the camera, because I worked at a small station and, and where I had to zoom into my stand, to my light stand to, to focus and then 
go and step in the, pla- the place of my life stand so that I could do a stand-up in front of the camera that I was running while I was reporting. In other words, You're doing so, in some, yeah. so, so in some ways, it's 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 been that the kind of joy of not being seg, you know, compartmentalized. Uh, when so that's what my life is like now. I mean, I have two kids who are who really care about the world and want to know more. That's been a joy of my life. And I've got a husband who who is an ocean swimmer and that's been fun. He's in training. And I've got a dog. So so that's my daily life. You have asked, you guys, that's what you got. Have you guys ever had like the nine to five of sorts? Mm, no, never. When my husband and I got married, um, uh, he was working for NASA. And so um, we made a vow to each other to support each other in the pursuit of our lives' purposes, right? So when he got a job at the Hubble in Baltimore and we're living in Los Angeles, I said, go. This is your life's purpose, go. And when I got a job at NBC sending me to New York and then to Chicago, he said, go. Make it count. Let's go. And so so we've really never... So we lived apart for the first years of our marriage. I mean, that's rough, right? And then I started having babies and that was it. We had to come together together. But we've been, uh, I feel in that we have been each other's real support. You know, we, we, I will not at the end of my life and he will not at the end of his feel as though we had not been there for each other. That is a big thing. That is a big thing. I will not feel that I had gotten in the way of the life he was supposed to have. And he will not feel that about me because we've made that pact with each other. And that's been really, I, I think many times I think, you know, when people say, um, you know, what's the best career advice to young women? You know, uh, if you're going to de- decide to be married, make sure uh, you understand that the person you decide to marry, that decision is going to be one of the most important decisions for your career. Because either you'll have the support or you won't. And I'm not just talking about the, the support of nine to five, but the support is the emotional support, the encouragement. All of that stuff. So, so it's a huge, it's a huge piece. And so, no, I mean, I've always had the early morning uh, hours, um, and now I'm now, and I think this is true for all of us, isn't it? That we're kind of working every day of the week. I think technology has kind of messed us yeah. up in some ways. So, I want to go back to chasing the cure for a second because uh-huh. this is like real life house, um, mm. and I loved that show. House. It is, I love, I loved that show so much because it was about trying to figure things out. Well, so. It's one thing when you're watching um, a, sh- a show that you know is made up stories. It's another when you're really watching um, just heartbreaking stories of real people. Mm. How? What made you want to get involved in this? What did you feel like you brought to it and what did you want to learn from it? This is a series about people who are really in need, who are forgotten by not necessarily the medical system, but because they're undiagnosed or they're or they're underserved. A lot of them are underserved. People who don't have regular doctors, who don't necessarily have um, medical insurance or don't have access. And then we also have people who are misdiagnosed, and that happens to millions of people. And we all have experienced that. And to be able to do this series now, to br- punch a hole or, or at least try to punch a hole in the silos that prevent people from getting the right specialists because of geography where they live, because of the specialists available in their medical plans. You know, we can actually break that by taking a patient who's been long suffering and put them right in front of a panel of highly qualified doctors. And we're also, we've made relationships so that we're connected to 
um, some of the uh, most highly regarded medical institutions in this country so that we actually have access to 52,000 physicians that we and, and specialists who we can say, okay, do you know something that can help? And then on top of that, we've created a situation um, that allows uh, us in this live broadcast to reach directly and also on our website to reach directly to anyone out there who's had similar symptoms, not just in this country, but in the world, right? Who is, who is or a doctor or a medical professional who has um, has patient of this ilk and, and, and has with these kinds of symptoms and make connections. Making connections is how we've always helped each other. It's, you know, we are each other's best resource. So I, I'm pretty confident that if, if not with information, with the comfort of caring, that that will help. And so, so why would I, why wouldn't I be a part of that? <laughs> this has always been what I've done, isn't it? it well, I've, it has. And it's, I want to kind of now rewind a little bit, which is your, it's so palpable, your confidence in the goodness of people and your confidence in yourself to kind of rise above the fray. And I want to talk about kind of overcoming the naysayers early on in your career. You started uh, this podcast by telling us, um, it, a story that's, it's insane to me that someone ever said this to you, that mm. women don't have news judgment um, and that you wouldn't succeed. And so when you go back to the Anne at that age, and mm -hmm. first of all, how old were you in that? Oh, I think it was 21. So who, what were you like at 21? And what was your reaction when you heard that? Mm. Well, you know, I, 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 it made me insecure, clearly. It hurt. Uh, it cut deep. And as you can tell, I memorized every word they were searing. Right, but my immediate beyond the all those emotions feeling was you know I knew that could not be true and that was not based in reality and so in my mind I actually did think oh yeah watch me and um, you know and the next six months were really really some of the most difficult months of my career because there were there were efforts to cause me to fail. Uh, overt efforts to cause me to fail. Like what? Um, I was assigned two to three times as many stories as the men. Um, I was um, uh, not trained to run the film camera, which I had to carry around. And and I loved shooting. I'm still a photographer today. But then also I had to get film back in time to make it for the film chain. And I wasn't instructed about how that was going to work. Um, so nobody took me under their wing. But then after about six months of really pushing, and I didn't and I think what really helped me, you know, I knew the truth. I think that's what helped. That what was said to me was not true. It was not based on any kind of reality. So that helped. But I also didn't, I, even though I was alone, I didn't feel alone because I knew uh, that there were women coming. I just knew there were women coming and I need, I could not fail. I could not fail. So I worked so hard. And finally, after six months, I said to the same person who, who told me that women have no news judgment, I said, I will do as much as the men and not anything more. And it's unfair for you to ask me for more. And I remember he stopped and he looked at me and I had done, I had actually done okay. Uh, and, and he kind of just tilted his head and he said, okay, fair enough. And, and I left that station uh, with the biggest beat, every single one of those men in that newsroom, and and it was filled with cigar smoke, and and I actually had to learn to cuss so that I could make them feel comfortable 
because they were afraid that I was going to change the newsroom. And I mean, I was, I, I'm from a mil, I'm, my dad was career Navy. So I come from a military family and I still did not learn to cuss. <laughs> and my father made a point to make sure I didn't learn to cuss. And even in college, I didn't cuss. But when I got to a newsroom, <laughs> I started saying every word to make sure that they understood I spoke their language, right? I spoke French too. Okay, we can talk. <laughs> and that I could, that I, you didn't, you know, you didn't have to you know, be careful around me. And that gentleman, when they all came to my goodbye party uh, after many years, he said, you know, Anne, I didn't want anything I ever said to you to stop you from your dreams because you can go all the way. And his transformation is one of the greatest successes in my life. And that's, that's I think, what we all are doing and what all of us are doing when we prove ourselves. And I can tell you they replaced me with two women and that newsroom, the last I checked, was more than 50% women. So there. We'll get back to that in a minute, but first let's talk about something that every guest on this show deals with, including us, and that's traveling for business. We calculated we were on like 23 flights a different hotel every night for the month of June. And it was amazing book tour. We're so happy we did it. One of the biggest takeaways is learning about what helps on the road. And a great hotel is like the only thing we wanted at the end of the day. And we found that with AC Hotels by Marriott. AC Hotels, they really built the hotel with a designer's eye. So every hotel is equal parts, just really beautiful to look at. Seriously, look at their Instagram, but also functional. Everything from the guest rooms to the lobby to their lounge are designed to know what you need before you need it. It's intuitive, which is really, really helpful. In the U.S., AC Hotels has over 45 locations in cultural hubs uh, with plans to double that, not to mention their global expansion. So visit AC Hotels at achotels.marriott.com to learn more. I want to talk about um, your confidence because I think looking back and hearing you tell that story, it's amazing. And what stands out to me about it is that even at 21, you had that inner confidence to say, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it was confidence. I think it was grit. You know, I, I, I don't think it was confidence. I mean, I was a slightly, you know, in college and in high school, I was a, uh, probably more than slightly chubby girl, was insecure about my body. I had uh, bad skin. Um, I didn't know how to put on makeup. I was grunge before it had a name. <laughs> uh, I didn't have nice clothes. I'm from a poor family, a uh, military family of five children. So there wasn't a lot of money. And um, and so, and I was also um, multi-ethnic. Uh, my mother was from Japan, she was a war bride who came to America right after the war. And my father was a big American white guy, she called him, from Colorado, uh, six foot three. And I was in, living in a town where there were was no, there was the only other race in that town was white. And so I was unusual in every way. My mother's imparted one thing in her Japanese culture that was really helpful, that I think is not just Japanese, but it's also in other cultures. And there, there's a word, and it's the word is gombaru. Gombaru means to never, ever, 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 ever give up, even and especially if there's no chance of winning. That's what gombaru is. That's what Winston Churchill said when he said, never, ever, ever, ever give in, never. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about grit. We're talking about 
even if you push me down, even if you put me in that box, I'm going to bust out because I will not give up. And even and especially when there's no chance of winning, that's when I get really tough. So that kind of idea, and I think that is not confidence. What that is, is um, a kind of, it's a persistence. It's a, it's a, and I think for me, what was driving that was that I love truth. I didn't know whether I was going to be a good journalist at that point. I knew I loved truth. I knew that to do uh, journalism, you had to be worthy. I knew that I had, I was shy. So I wasn't even comfortable being on television, uh, but I was, but I was, but I was interested in the truth. And that I thought made me worthy to, to be, to, to combine that with my grit and not give up. I love hearing that that story and that phrase from your mom because as a longtime fan of yours, it makes so much sense that that's how you've conducted your your life and your your public career. You've had a couple of really diff- difficult moments where you clearly leaned on that advice. Um, leaving NBC's Today Show in 2012 was probably the most public one. And for listeners who don't know, that morning on the couch when you announced you were leaving as a co-host but would still continue working at NBC, you were very emotional and you apologized to the viewers. I want you to kind of look back on that moment and thinking about that phrase that your mom instilled in you. Talk to us about what you were thinking then and how you leaned on that to get mm. through that time. Well, I didn't know that the um, that that moment was going to be so swift. I thought they were go- there was going to be sort of a goodbye and all that stuff. And when I realized, I looked at the clock and I saw that there was only a, s- a small amount of time. And I realized, oh, this is the you're leaving moment and that that's all, this is going to be it. And I realized it felt, that didn't feel so great, right? So, but really what caused me um, to feel so deeply, and I didn't mean to cry. It, in fact, I'm horrified still to this day that I did. But the reason I felt so deeply was because after many, many years, how many years at the Today Show? Many, many years, right? I had seen, I had heard, I had listened to the viewers uh, who I felt I worked for respond and react and write in and call in and contribute sometimes unsolicited to these stories that I was talking about. And I saw, I heard my bosses say, I don't know, I don't understand it, but but when you started reporting about Darfur, the numbers actually went up in their minute-to-minute analysis. I said, you have a minute-to-minute analysis? That is just not right. There's something really gross about it. But they did. And they would, they'd say, you know, and for some reason, people are responding to your stories, even though they're very difficult. I fell in love with our viewers. I fell in love with them. I fell in love with taking care of them. And so when I was in that situation where I needed to leave them, it was hard. I felt like I was leaving people I really, because uh, I was, I was leaving people I really cared about. So that's where the tears came. That's where that emotion came. And and I think that um, what I wanted to do in that moment was to really, um, you know, uh, tell them that they mattered and to, to wish everyone well. And that was my goal. And I think that being um, resilient may have helped me to some degree uh, with that. Um, maybe not as much as I wished it would have, uh, but but it, but I but I try to to um, respond with some dignity and um, with some authenticity. And I can tell you, it was a very authentic moment. I didn't plan 
um, uh, the outpouring of feeling. And I was really surprised at the outpouring of feeling back. And I have been overwhelmed by it. It's been really, um, I just, I feel so lucky that I was able to make that connection with with our, I don't even like to use the word viewers. I mean, there it really were, they were people I felt like I worked for. They were my bosses. They were the people I wanted to to, to, to show the world to, and they are still. And, um, and so really for me, it was as if it was almost kind of like um, not getting to be with the ones you love. That's how I felt. I'm struck that you say that you um, were horrified that you cried because you you so much of your reporting well so much of your reporting and and even in this this show this new show um chasing the cure you you lead with empathy you when i think about the stories that you've brought viewers on us included and have shown parts of the world and some of the world's most just horrific tragedies um that empathy has always been so apparent. So why were you... Because it's not about me. I think this is one of the mistakes that many people on television make and and in other, in all walks of life. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's about the stories. It's about the people in the stories. And so for me to be putting myself on it, you know, in other words, I've tried as a journalist to really have it not be about me, have it be about... In fact, to the point where I've actually argued against doing stand-ups, I've, you know, which is when you stand and look at the camera and talk um, uh, and speak to the view. I mean, I've always tried to shine a light on the people in the stories. So, you know, the hardest person to have empathy for is yourself, isn't it? Yes. Right? And it's also the hardest person to forgive, right? So it's easy. I find it incredibly easy to have empathy for others. And so in this moment, it's even now hard for me to have empathy for myself in that moment. But um, but it wasn't something I wanted to do. In those moments when you have been down, what do you do? How do you get yourself out of that? And clearly mm. you have the new show. You've moved past all of that. Mm. What, aside from what was instilled in you, like, did you ever have a day where you were like, I just don't want to get up? I think all of us do. Who does not have that day? And especially given that you're looking at someone who's been traumatized repeatedly by the kinds of stories I've done. I mean, anyone, most reporters I know who have covered the earthquake in Haiti, it'd be very hard to find one who does not have a searing memory that may not be PTSD, but is certainly borderline, that they can't get out of their mind. I, I have that for things I've seen in Pakistan, things I've seen in um, Sudan and Darfur. I mean, when you see a level of uh, the kind of human suffering that uh, you know, when I, Southeast Asia, the tsunami, Japan, the tsunami there. I mean, just over, I can, if you go down to Syria, um, these these places where people, and, and including in um, Southeast um, Ohio and in Appalachia, where there is intransent, I mean, intractable poverty, you know, which which is, is third world type poverty. Um, um, I've seen things that I just I I that haunt me. So ha, so do I? Yes. Every time I have had these kinds of experiences, um, I have. To be honest with you, I've needed a day in bed. I haven't always gotten it. Sometimes I've had two hours later. 
I've come back from these things and had to go right back into live television with no sleep, which is one reason why sometimes I would say good morning two or three times because I was, <laughs> had not slept at all. Because I'd, I'd got, just gotten off the plane, gotten home, dropped my bags, took a shower and went to work after sleeping for two hours on the plane. And suddenly I'm, you know, so that's, but but almost always I would have to have the next day really just adjusting, thinking about, and when you walk back into your apartment or your home and, you know, you've come from some of that and you your your kids are saying, mom, mom, we're, we're going to the zoo. You want to come with us? It is a brain shift. You've got to, okay, okay, this is this is here and that was there. And you've got to make that transition. And I think every journalist who does that kind of really serious work has to take care of him or herself emotionally, physically, and mentally. You've got to think about it. You've got to go get care if you need it emotionally, especially if you do are traumatized. And you've got to physically take care of yourself, exercise, get outside, so that you're ready for the next one. Because every next story deserves that open-heartedness, that ability to feel deeply. And what happens for journalists, sometimes they close up. Well, the, I'm going to take a guess that most of our listeners have not experienced a lot of the journalistic um, experiences and endeavors that you have when you're talking about a uh, tremendous amount of work stress and being overworked, overtired, and and that sense of trying to balance. Um, That's right. That's pretty take, common. <laughs> yes. Do you take different... Um, do you look at self-care differently today, especially with with this new endeavor and this new show where it sounds like you are working a ton and you're you're doing a lot of new jobs? Um, how do you take care of yourself today? Right. So I'm, I've also done a 12-hour um, docu-series for PBS and uh, I write for National Geographic. There's actually uh, this month uh, an article in the Dalai Lama. I went to, to go to India to go interview him. So I do a number of different things. So yeah, balancing is... is um, uh, always a temporary uh, success story. It doesn't happen all the time. I, uh, in, in other words, it's not consistent. So for me, it's always been um, trying to eat well, trying to eat at the right time, trying to get enough sleep, which has always been a terrible, I've always been terrible at that. But I've gotten better at that as, I, as I've gotten older. And that's been really, um, really helpful. And all of you who have got children out there, you will get better at that um, <laughs> as you get older. And you know, when they say sleep when your children are sleeping, that they're really right about that. It's not <laughs> like you can turn that on and off. Uh, but if you can, then you're really one of the lucky few. But, um, but you know, they're worth it and, and all of that. But it does get easier over time. And sleep, I think, is the magic elixir. Um, I sleep, agree with you on that. That and and I think um, even if you can't make it to the gym to walk to take the stairs just to just to get some exercise that balance. I used to do yoga. I don't do it as consistently anymore, uh, but that was a relaxer. One of the other things that I've started doing that's really helped, in addition to trying to sort of um, take care. Of, just there are two things I would say about that. One is, um, you know, one time I I thought I might have breast cancer, right? My my sister ha is a breast cancer survivor and I found a pretty mass, like a significant lump. And I went to the doctor and the doctor flipped out and he made me stay in the office and a bunch of doctors were, you know, obviously jumping in and I had all kinds of tests and it took all day. And then the doctor sa came into his doctor's office. And he says, you know, and he gave me this huge gift. He said, I'm going to tell you something. I've got to tell people all the time that they have breast cancer. And you know the reaction is always the same? 
they always say, but I haven't done this. I didn't, I, sh- I need to do this. And I'm not, I'm a, and he always says, you know, you have a chance because you don't have breast cancer to think about your life in reverse. You can think about it. What should you be in this way? What should you be doing? What do you not want? What do you want to make sure you get done before it is your last day, before you get uh, the news you don't want to hear? You know, he says, because, you know, no matter what your religion, all of us have uh, deserve a Sabbath. If you're Jewish, it may be on a Saturday. If you're a Christian, maybe it's a Sunday, but it doesn't matter. One day a week should be your Sabbath, should be a day just, and I'm not saying, I'm not just saying it's a day for, for your family or your children. It's a day for you. And I said, but I have little kids. I, I, can't, I can't have a whole day for me. He goes, well, you can get an hour or two, and then you can get an hour or two the next week, the other next day, and maybe the following Wednesday you can get an hour or two. But you need to build up a good day where you're thinking about, you're thinking about what you should be doing. What is it that you, in your heart of hearts, want to do with your time? And so that you're not thinking, oh, I shoulda, woulda, coulda. That's not, that's not what you should be doing. That's the mistake. What was the answer to that doctor's question? I'm sure that it's changed over time. It has, and it's constantly changing because obviously we all wake up to new things that we want. We, we have to kind of almost, it's almost like um, uh, Michelangelo, I'm not Michelangelo, but Michelangelo carving the marble, finding the person in, inside is what, how Michelangelo described how he found David. You know, he's in there. How do I find him, right? It's like finding it. And, and um, I, I immediately uh, went back to a dream that I'd always uh, had uh, to uh, to pursue being a, a, a photographer, and now I so immediately I did that, and um, now I I'm you know I I'm a photojournalist in addition to being a journalist. So so that was an immediate. Um, it also uh, woke me up, helped wake me up to where I was already heading. Um, I you know at NBC um, I had been uh, I was uh, really. Um, encouraged strongly uh, without my pushing for it to be an anchor, which was sort of not my, you know, I was, had always been a reporter. It kept pushing me to be an anchor. And so I was an anchor, but I knew what I was supposed to do. I'd always in my entire career uh, as a reporter and, and even thinking about being a reporter, I knew my, my life's purpose was to give voice to the voiceless. That was my life's purpose from the get-go. And so I, it, it re, it re-emphasized um, my need to report on the kinds the kinds of stories that I've done. So that entire resume that you sort of just read, Danielle, that was what was unleashed. So we're going to go into our very last segment. It's time for some quick honesty. It's a lightning round. <laughs> so you have oh, to answer okay, very okay. fast. Yes. One word answer. Oh, gosh, I hope I, I can keep up. Okay, go. <laughs> okay, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? I thought I was going to be either an astronaut, and then I found out that w- women could not be astronauts too. I was told that. Then I thought I was going to be a nurse, and then women could be more than those things. Um, and um, that was it. That was pretty much it before I fell in love with journalism. College major? Mm, journalism. First job? Uh, a cocktail waitress. Worst job? Actually, actually that's not true, because I was also working my way through college every step of the way. But first job out of college was a cocktail waitress. Worst job? Cocktail waitress. <laughs> I had to wear something skin tight. It was gross. <laughs> snooze or no snooze? Um, I snooze. Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to get up in the morning, although I'm a morning person, but sometimes getting up in the middle of the night snoozing was nice. 
Of all the stories that you covered, uh, which story did you have to fight the most for to get the job? Darfur. I mean, I, I, there, I fought, I, I'm the queen of stories, people have, been t- have told me, I'm the queen of stories that nobody quote unquote cares about. So there are a lot of them. Uh, but um, going to, Darfur happened um, years and years before television news went to cover it because we were kept out of it. So uh, that was the story. Yeah, that was the story. When was the last time you negotiated for yourself? Hmm. I think that um, aren't we? I'm not not talking about a contract. Aren't we always negotiating for ourselves? Always. And aren't we aren't we women learning to negotiate for ourselves uh, more and more? Isn't negotiating for is negotiating for ourselves talking about just a contract? No, it's about saying is about being heard. Sometimes I negotiate with my husband to let him listen to me because I know it's difficult sometimes, but I need to be heard. So I'm negotiating for that airtime. <laughs> my my daughter, I just heard her say she, we were having an argument about something, and she said, and everybody was talking, and she goes, "Nope, stop." I need to be heard. Listen to me. She was negotiating for herself. That's what we all have to do in our own families and at work. What's your guilty pleasure? Mm, chocolate. Chocolate kisses. Um, I I used to mainline Hershey's kisses, but dark <laughs> chocolate. Yeah. Um, what is the last thing you binged on a binging platform? <laughs> well, um, I binged, watched. What was the last thing? Um I'm binge. I sort of haven't finished though. Um, oh gosh, uh, I don't I never know. Uh, Bodyguard. I binge oh, watched that. I heard um, that's good. So good. Loved it. I loved that show. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Last question. What's your shameless plug? I, I don't plug easily. I'm. I but I could plug Chasing the Cure, which I, we've talked about. It's going to be on on start on August eighth at nine p.m. It'll be for ten weeks. And uh, if you want to, if you are somebody who is uh, sick or who wants. Um, to be to know how you can help people who are sick, and that's really about being. A, it's really a mitzvah. Um, the website is chasingthecurelive.com. But my real plug is um, for humanity. I I I want to plug the reality that we are all um, more caring, uh, deeper, uh, more connected. Um, then we may fully realize on a daily basis. And I want to plug that in you and say, uh, nurture that and don't be afraid to show that because that's how it comes back to you. You know, the the most selfish thing you can do is to be generous and loving. Even if you get, you know, you don't get a thanks, but just to do it. But the most selfish thing you can do is to do that. That's the path to joy. Well, so I plug that. Ann Curry, thank you so much. I will say good morning to you. Yes, <laughs> thank you. I only say it once, though, right? <laughs> oh, you've gotten enough sleep last night? Oh, good. Thanks. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra. 